0: Hello, my name is Greta Harrison. Welcome to Born Fabulous, where we speak with parents and accomplished individuals who just happen to have disabilities. You are about to hear Episode 7, which is Part 3 of a four-part interview with Sandra McElwee. Sandra is the mother of Sean McElwee. Sean is a 25-year-old actor who is a cast member of A&E's Emmy-winning series, Born This Way. Sean also owns Shawnees, a t-shirt company, does extensive public speaking, and has a part-time job. Sean has Down syndrome. Sandra works in the medical sales field, is the author of three five-star rated books about Sean's journey, and is a revered mentor to many families behind her. That is how we met many years ago. Now, please enjoy this clip of Love is a Potion. The lyrics were written by Melissa Riggio, who was the focus of episodes one through four. The music and voice are by Rachel Fuller. Tell, tell me, what does, what does Sean like to do for fun? <clears throat> well, he loves to bowl.
1: Um, he loves to go on dates with his girlfriend. Um, he, think, he loves to think up shirt ideas all the time. Um, he plays video games. Uh, he, likes, he has an Xbox and loves it. Um, we've got a new puppy, and he loves playing with her. Um, he loves to golf pretty much any sport he loves to do. He's very athletic. Uh, he got that from dad, not me.
0: (laughs) And he played sports in school too, didn't he? No. Well, when I say, when I say school, maybe like junior or wasn't it junior high, He, he did, he did play a lot of sports.
1: Well, he was okay. So sports started young. Um, you know, physical therapy is physical therapy, but actually doing something is better physical therapy. So we got his x-ray at, for his neck at two and a half. And, and he, we were told he passed, but that's another story in itself. Um, and we started a mommy and me gymnastics class. And so gymnastics was his first sport. And, you know, of course, what's, what's, a, naive, what's a physical therapy goal? Jumping. Well, where better to learn how to jump than at gymnastics on a trampoline? And so he, he started gymnastics at two and a half years old. Then at five, when soccer started, um, we enrolled him in the regular AYSO soccer team because at that age, they're all, none of them know what to do. I mean, all the kids are chasing the ball and they don't even start keeping score for a couple of years for two or three years. So, so we signed him up for soccer and he ran around the field and he kicked the ball, and and then we signed him up for for baseball, but we went we went ahead and did the special um, baseball team, the Challenger baseball team through uh, Little League. Um, and I can't remember why we did that versus a regular baseball team because he could have done a regular baseball team too. But Rick had been my husband was a um, had a potential to be a minor league ball player, but he blew his arm out and. So he um, was pitching to Sean at four years old and Sean was hitting with his little plastic bat and his plastic ball. He was hitting pitched balls at four years old. Then uh, let's see, gosh, what else did we do? Um, So he did baseball. We had to finally give up gymnastics because we had so many other things going on, baseball and soccer. Um, Our community recreation department started a basketball league for little kids. Oh my gosh. He would sit there and try so hard to hit the basket. I mean, the ball would barely hit the bottom of the net and the net was lowered to eight feet and he couldn't make a basket that first season to save his life, but he didn't give up. We ended up buying a basketball goal, putting it on the driveway and he would spend hours shooting baskets on the, on the driveway. And now, you know, it's nothing but net. Um, Just, you know, so that, and then they had, they started a volleyball league. So we signed him up for the volleyball league. So every sport, and it wasn't so much for anything other than him to know how to play the games. And when he was in high school, um, okay, so junior high was horrible. We had this really um, blessed elementary school experience where he was fully included and he was fully included in everything. Even if he was in choir, you know, he'd sit down halfway through the performance cause he was too tired to stand up. Cause it was at night, you know, after the long day of school and stuff, they didn't care. You know, he could sit down. Nobody cared that he sat down. <clears throat> um, so we go to junior high before we get to junior high, we had the whole team from, from the elementary school, the principal, the school psychologist, the inclusion specialist from the district, his aide. Everybody went to the junior high to meet with the principal to say, here's what we've done that's been successful. And the principal wouldn't listen to anybody. He simply sat there and talked for the entire hour um, and, wouldn't, and didn't allow anyone a chance to, to say a word. And um, basically set Sean up for failure. He told us in that meeting, we've never done inclusion here before. I've checked with the principals at the other intermediate schools in the district. They've never had one successful inclusion case. um, So this is going to fail. And I said, well, being the ever consummate salesperson that um, my job is to overcome objections. I said, well, won't it be a feather in your cap when you have the first successful inclusion student? Because my son is not a case. I didn't know that, but I was thinking it. he's not a case. He's a student. And then he said, feathers, I don't need any more feathers. Um, I retire in two years. And that was it. He just wanted to slide on out without doing anything special. So he set John up for failure. Seventh grade was a living hell. And we skipped eighth grade. It was intermediate school, so it's only seventh and eighth grade. We skipped eighth grade, went on to high school. I said, those teachers have been in the break room, Sean, all year and telling everybody, all the other teachers about, you know, this horrible child and, uh, you know, he doesn't need one more year of this. And honestly, if we had kept him there one more year, I think that would have done him in. He would have completely been toast. Um, He would have hated school when he loved school up to that point. So we went on to high school. Well, now all of his friends Are a year behind him at a different school. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't know anybody. So he's going up to people at lunch, trying to talk to them. They don't know him. They're just like, okay, can't understand him. Um, he doesn't have any sense of belonging because he doesn't belong to a group in high school. It's so important to belong to a group. And so I said, look, he needs to be a member of a club. Um, and he needs to be, you know, a Assistant, because every fall you see all these football teams that have an assistant with Down syndrome, and there you know all these media about it, and on and on and on. Well, he needs to be an assistant for a sports team. He needs to be something. Well, they asked every sports team, and the only one that said that allowed Sean to be their assistant was the baseball team. And the um, the minute Sean started working with the baseball team, everything changed. He sat with the baseball players at lunch. Um, he, you know, was cut, was with them after, you know, seventh period only. They didn't, he didn't actually go after school. Um, and you know, was on the practice field with them, went to every game that was home game. That was another problem. But anyway, that's, <laughs> he didn't get to go to the away games unless I took him. Um, and, but but he had a sense of belonging, and he had a group he belonged to, and everything changed. His behavior at school was completely different. Um, he felt accepted. He felt loved. Well, the second year, the baseball coach just didn't want to mess with it anymore, and he decided that Sean wasn't going to be um, an assistant anymore. And so he tells the baseball players, "Sean's not going to be our assistant this year." Oh my gosh! They went nuts. They started you know, saying, you can't do that to him. He loves this. He's, um, this is, this is, you know, makes his day every day. And they wrote letters. They had their parents call the school. They really seriously, pun intended, went to bat for (laughs) Sean. And we go to this meeting and I'm expecting, you know, I already knew the coach didn't want Sean to be as on the team anymore. And I asked for them to invite some other coaches to come Um, and so I go into this meeting, not sure what team's coach is going to be there. And I see the baseball coach and I'm like, what are you doing here? We already know you don't want Sean. You're just going to pound it home, you know? And, and he says, Sean is welcome to be an assistant on my baseball team. When I told the boys that he couldn't be an assistant anymore, they beat me up. And he's like, he goes, they just beat me up. And So he is welcome to be an assistant on our team from now on. So it was like, okay. (laughs) So he was an assistant for all four years. So his freshman year, his junior year, well, I mean his sophomore year, well, his junior year over the Christmas break, we get an email from the coach that his wife had just had a baby with Down syndrome. Wow. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, you know?
0: (laughs) You cannot.
1: So and those, I knew, I knew Sean wasn't going to have a problem being an assistant for the rest of the time he was in high school.
0: And and not only that, but that was such a clear example. Just like the drama students who advocated yes. for him.
1: Yes. Again, well, that was that was the takeaway over and over again. It is the students had so much more character than some of the teachers over the years, and and stood up over and over because. Um, because they had been in school with Sean all those years,
0: you're exactly right. You know, it reminds me of when my daughter started dance when she was three, and she danced for I think nine years. And I remember the first place that I took her when it came time for the recital, they were very, very particular. I mean, the the lady who ran it was an ex-beauty queen, and she was just so particular. And I remember thinking, I don't know if she's going to let my daughter be on the stage. I didn't know. And I remember talking to the other parents, because I didn't even have this feeling until the recital time came, because it was in a big auditorium. It was in a coliseum, really. It was in a huge place. And so I, I, I voiced my fear to the other parents, and they said, oh, Grata, don't worry if they don't let your daughter on the stage, none of our daughters are going to be on the stage. I swear they all said that. And, and of course I worried about nothing. It was not an issue. I did move her just because I, I I wanted a different focus of dance to a different studio, but I love the parents attitudes. I really, really did. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool how that works out, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So what do you and Rick do for your sanity? I mean, just for your sanity, what do you, what, what is, what, do you have a hobby? Is there something that makes you happy? What do you do for your sanity?
1: Oh, I don't know that I have any sanity.
0: (laughs) You do, you do.
1: (laughs) Um, well, um, currently I, well, I haven't been exercising, but I used to exercise on a, a regular basis, but I need to get back to doing that. Um, we like to take trips. Now, we go on, we take Sean on a lot of trips, but we've taken a few trips without him. And we have, um, um, we like adventure trips. So we love to snorkel, And um, we live 30 minutes from the beach. So as often as possible, I go to the beach. And that's where my sanity is. I always. Um,
0: Your sanity is the beach.
1: Yeah, it really is. I always feel like every stress I have is just sucked into that ocean
0: somehow. And it's kind of funny because we're on different sides of the country, but where I live, I'm not, that, I'm not on the beach, but I'm maybe 20 minutes from the beach. So I live in an area where a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah. Just, just different oceans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Let, let's touch on the friends because it seems to be a fairly common theme that it's, it's harder to find real friends when they get older. And we're, in, we're living in an age where everybody's glued to their phones, so there aren't as many interpersonal interactions as there were when maybe you and I were growing up. So when you combine that with an with a, a obvious disability that you can see, I always think there's a difference. You know, I, I advocate for people with all kinds of disabilities, but when you have a disability that you can see versus one that's invisible, there's pluses and minuses to both. So if you could just talk about that, his evolution with friendships.
1: Well, okay, so Sean, um, his typical friends in school were great. He, because inclusion wasn't um, really the norm in our school district, um, he didn't have any classmates with Down syndrome in his classes. By the time he turned 15... Our, our local Down Syndrome Association had um, teen and adult activities, and I would take him to these activities, and he, one of them was the red carpet ball, which you've seen on Born This Way. Um, typical friends come and go, and that happens for you and me, too. We have, we all have friends. I, I have a few friends that I've been friends with for over the years, for many, many years, but I have a lot of friends that I've been friends with for short periods of time. What's that poem? There's a, a saying that's like friends for a season, friends for a reason. I don't know what it was. Anyway, huh. so I've got I've got a lot of friends that I've had, for, like my PTA friends in elementary school. We'll still get together every once in a while, but I don't see them on a regular basis. But I've got my best friends that I've had for over the years. Anyway, so so friends come and go for all of us. Long story short, we when our kids have friends that aren't typical friends and can't drive them to go do things, we've got to drive them. We've got to be the ones making the effort. And at 15 years old, he had two or three friends that I would take and do things, but their parents never took Sean. There was no reciprocation. And of all of the people, Sean was the easiest of all of them, but they're, they never took Sean anywhere. And I had a girlfriend who was experiencing the same thing. She would take her, her daughter and her friends places, but they wouldn't, um, but they would never take her daughter anywhere. So we're talking to each other and summer's coming up and we want to keep them busy and active and social. And we just went, I'm not doing every social activity this summer. And she said, I'm not either. I'm not sure what to do. So we invented a thing called cool club and both of our kids were in the challenger little league and we had the final game and the picnic coming up. And so we kind of threw together some rules and Went and said, "Anybody whose kid is um, going into high school next year or is in high school, come over here. And we want to tell you an idea we have." So we got about you know ten or fifteen parents there, <clears throat> and we said, "Okay, so here's an idea we have. What if we started a social club?" And we didn't have a name for it yet. Um, and we get the so where one family plans an activity every weekend. So if there's ten of us, then every ten weeks you know, you plan an activity for everyone to do. Uh, and then not everybody has to go, you know, um, and everybody pays for themselves the person planning. It doesn't pay for everyone, but it's just somebody, you know, planning an activity. And so we ended up with 16 people. And so once every 16 weeks you plan something. So somebody might do a dinner and a movie, somebody might do bowling, um, Somebody, we did the circus, took the kids to the circus. Um, We had to have other parents help drive, but, you know, we did that. So just whatever, just something for them to do. So every weekend there was an activity. And it made a huge difference in their social lives and their social skills. And this was a group of people with disabilities. Um, That's been going on for 10 years. The kids named it Cool Club. And we changed it when they became adults to Laugh. Lively adults, fun friends. Um, But that's been going on for years. Typical friends are still pretty tough to come by. Most of the people, unfortunately, in Sean's life are paid to be there. Um, He's got his support, you know, his supported living staff. He's got his um, job coaches. Um, Sean C., who you see on the show, you know, is Sean's friend. They met from a church group that Sean was at. And, you know, uh, but his his friends from elementary school and high school, they moved. They don't live here. It's really expensive to live in Orange County. So they don't live around here. So he just doesn't have, those friendships have not continued over the years, unfortunately.
0: Now, Sean C., who you mentioned, he's the one who had a girlfriend that your Sean liked, correct? And, and they then. ended up
1: getting they ended up getting married too. Yeah. That's
0: what I thought. Okay.
1: And Sean was the best man in their wedding.
0: Yeah. That was a, that was a cute storyline when he, uh, he got a crush on him and, and Sean C handled it very well. Yeah. I, I remember that.
1: He's a really cool guy.
0: And they're still good friends. And
1: oh yes. Yes. And and Sean C has a baby now um, and Sean just loves his baby.
0: And they're friends from a youth group at church or from just from church <clears throat>
1: Um, no, it's a, um, a Wednesday night church group for people with disabilities. And then um, other people go to the group as well. Typical okay. people go as well.
0: Okay. All right. Let's, let's look at advice. I know you've never given anybody any advice ever,
1: Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and many times it's unsolicited. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was the best advice? that you ever received um,
1: um, to fight for full inclusion.
0: You received that advice.
1: Yes. You were- I was, was very lucky. There were two or three parents mm-hmm. that were ahead of us on the journey that mentored me. Um, and, basically filled me in on what full inclusion was, how to fight for it and um and they were in our same school district. And those mentor parents meant everything to me. And still do. I mean, they're still ahead of us on the journey, so we see what they're going through and what their, you know, lives are um are doing. You know, what's happening in their lives.
0: I think it's very important to learn from those ahead of us, which is obviously why we're doing doing all these interviews, but uh, yeah. And you you have an excellent Down Syndrome Association in Orange County. Oh my we goodness. Do. We do. You have a work. rock star association, yeah.
1: We, we really do. We, re- we have Kelly Perez, the um, director, is just Amazing. She has a daughter with Down syndrome. I mean, we go to these Down syndrome associations across the country that Sean speaks at and things and, and there there's a lot of really good ones out there, but but we are so fortunate to have the one we have.
0: And you have Dana Halley too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She's she's got the Down syndrome foundation and she really focuses on the education part.
0: Which is huge because that was that's helping the people behind us. So absolutely. For sure. Now, what advice do you give? Um,
1: well, number one, never, ever, ever give up on your child, um, because you just don't know where they're gonna where they're gonna end up. You, I mean, if someone had told me when Sean was born that one day he's gonna be on TV, he's gonna have his own T-shirt line, he's gonna be a keynote speaker. I mean, okay my kid who couldn't articulate three words together, who ran his words together at 18 keynote speaker. How did that ever happen? Um, you know, how did he end up on TV? Honestly, we just never told him no. We just never, we just said, okay, let's figure out how to do this. And when I wrote the first book, um, you know, who's the slow learner, a chronicle of inclusion and exclusion. I started doing speeches. I started doing keynote speeches to parent groups and education, um, you know, TASH um, conferences and things like that. And, and talked about Sean's life and how much he'd accomplished. Well, I always had the, this, the, it end with Sean talking about his life. And he had a few slides. So I would end at elementary elementary school because I wanted to keep it positive. And then he he would start off, you know, in high school, I went to dances. And we put all of his words on the slides. So if somebody couldn't understand him, they could at least read what he was saying. So he was getting the practice doing that. And then people started wanting him to be the speaker, not me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, gosh, we're going to have to have more than a few slides for Sean. And so I kind of kept it the same, you know, I wrote it and said, okay, you're, you know, I went to dances in high school. I was the assistant for the varsity baseball team. I was this, I was that. And then one day he goes, mom, my speech is boring. (laughs) I need a new speech. And I go, thanks. (laughs) I said, I, I said, well, what do you want it to say? And he said, I want people to know that I have dreams and they they have dreams and the dreams can happen because it could happen because if you don't give up, it could happen. And I said, oh, that's good. And so we're driving to LA in the rain. It's going to take us forever to get where we're going because we're only going five miles an hour. But I turned the recorder on my phone and I said, okay, keep going. Tell me what's going on. And he says, well, you know how I never give up Mm -hmm. because it could happen. And when you don't give up, it could happen. I mean, he just keeps saying it could happen. And I said, "Okay, it could happen." It has to be part of the speech for sure. And then he said, "Because that's what faith can do." And I said, "So what dreams have happened?" And he said, "Well, I'm, um, I wanted to be on TV, and I didn't give up, and I kept taking classes at community college because high school wouldn't let me take classes, and I'm, um, um, and that's what faith can do because I didn't give up." And, and then he said, um, "You know, I always wanted Sparky. What are you doing?" She's dragging a rug down the hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a two-year-old trying to get your attention, mm-hmm. right? Stop. Um, <laughs> so, so he's just—you know—he just kept going, and and so I come up with this theme: it could happen. That's what faith can do. So I sit down. And you know, write his speech, and he says, "You know, I wanted to meet celebrities, um, and I wanted to meet Megan Trainor." But Stephen <laughs> said, "I'd never meet Megan Trainor," but I didn't give up, and I met Megan Trainor. That's what faith can do. I mean, so it's like, okay, so we sit down together, and we basically write the speech, and that was when his t-shirt company idea came up, and he said, "Now we need shirts and hats and bags," <laughs> and I go, "Okay." So I thought we'd do a shirt that said it could happen. And when it that said, that's what faith can do. And that would be the end of it. And 120 designs later, <laughs> he's still going.
0: Thank you for listening to the seventh episode of Born Fabulous. I hope you enjoyed it and want to hear more. Episode eight will be the last part of my conversation with Sandra McElwee. In that episode, Sandra talks about her faith in this journey, Sean's gifts, goals and dreams for Sean, Sean's onesie campaign to help new families, discrimination getting TV interviews, and much more. Sandra is a great storyteller. Episode 8 comes out May 17th. To see more about Sean, including family photos, visit www.bornfabulouspodcast.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Born Fabulous Podcast on iTunes or any podcast directory. Now, please enjoy this clip of The Ring. Lyrics are by Melissa Riggio, who was the subject of episodes one through four. The music and voice are by Rachel Fuller.